Well, welcome back to Crosswires. I'm James, and this is the technology show where we look at all sorts of technology, be it new, old, retro, and we look at things from a thoughtful point of view. I have a wonderful guest with me today. Um, I've had the pleasure of exchanging tweets, and in fact, on the old Crosswires podcast, Dan joined us for an episode back there, but ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dan Wood. Hey James, nice to be back. Really nice to have you. It it feels a little bit odd talking about guests I've had on like the it's almost like this podcast has regenerated, like you know, it's Tom Tom Baker. I'm doing good, Tom Baker. There you go. Yeah, it's weird though. I'd look back, you know, because I remember we talked about kind of all the different models of the Commodore Amiga last time, didn't we? And I thought yeah. that was like maybe eighteen months ago. I look back, it's twenty eighteen last time we talked, which is crazy. Oh, that's insane, yeah. isn't it? That's mad. And this time, so you've sort of hinted at what we're going to talk about. Which we're going to talk about the Commodore Amiga, which is possibly my favorite retro machine and it was my first my first computer but this time rather than talking you know going through the model list because look ultimately there are lots of videos on that and you've got lots of content on that Mm. i thought let's talk a a little bit more specific let's look at how we can potentially use amigas today uh, and what the options are so before we do that i should probably get you to introduce yourself to my listeners yeah, well, I'm, um, yeah, I'd say, you know, retro computer fan through and through. Um, and like yourself, you know, the Amiga um, has always been my favorite platform as well, even though it wasn't my first machine. I mean, when I was a kid, we were always a, uh, you could say, a Commodore household. You know, I had a uh, Commodore Plus 4 was my first machine. I think because my parents got it on a, you know, a fire sale because it was really cheap for like £25 or something about about four or five years after they got discontinued. Uh, my brother had a Commodore 64, though, so I used to buy that quite a lot. And then um, I got an Amiga 500 Plus for uh, Christmas 1991. So that was kind of my introduction to the world of Amiga. Um, And I was one of those weird guys that kind of stuck with the Amiga way too long. You know, I got an Amiga 1200 after that. um, And I kept using it as my main machine until 2001, which was a long time. I mean, you know, it was kind of like um, my mum used to call it Frankenstein's computer because it had like, you know, no top of the case on. There was cables hanging out of every orifice in the machine and <laughs> things that were wired in there that shouldn't have been wired into it so it was a yeah definitely you know i really pushed that machine beyond its limits and then i kind of moved on you know i got a windows xp pc and that was kind of when you know i kind of left the amiga behind a little bit and then around um 2007 i remember there was, there was a guy I used to work for a guy called um chris perillo i'm not sure if you're familiar with him he used to be on tech tv in america yeah yeah yeah. he was a television host um and he started doing some live streams i ended up chatting to him ended up becoming part of his community and helping him do you know some video content and editing and that kind of thing and then um one day i thought well actually you know he was uploading videos to youtube and uh this when youtube first started and google video as well so i thought i might actually just try putting a camera on and uh you know, talking about maybe something a bit different. I started thinking about the Amiga again, because around that time, I'd managed to get my hands on an Amiga 600, you know, like a good five or six years after I threw them all in the bin. Yeah, that's my confession. I did actually throw my Amigas in the bin, then bought them all back. So, uh, yeah, really, that's how it started. You know, I was probably one of the first guys that were making Amiga content on YouTube. You know, I think I uploaded my first videos in 2007. Some of those I've since deleted and put private, but um, you know it's uh, it, it's always been something I've kind of been known for covering the Amiga. Even though you know I'm a big Mac guy these days as well, I do enjoy a good like you know DOS PC. You know, I can appreciate all that era and all retro technology really. Um, I also do my own podcast as well called the Retro Hour that I've been doing for six years now, um, which is kind of like um, a bit of an audio project to kind of record stories from developers and people that work for gaming companies back in the day really that's our main focus you know we always want to hear the stories about the the people behind the games and companies that we grew up playing so that was kind of the end of that show 
Um, so that's really it. I mean, you know, j- just a guy that loves retro and, you know, likes to talk about it as much as possible, really. Absolutely. And, um, you know, just as a nice tie-in, I think we were talking pre-show, my guest from the last episode, Stu Cambridge, was one of your early guests as well, I believe. Yeah, he was. And, I mean, um, it was at that stage where, you know, we didn't, I think I've got a feeling he was in our first 10 episodes or something like that. Um, just reached out to him on Twitter. You know, we do a podcast, do you want to come on straight away? Yeah, I'll come on. You know, lovely guy. I had no idea who we were or anything like that. But, you know, starstruck. I was like, my God, he used to, you know, I, rem- I remember playing him in, you know, Cannon Fodder when I was a kid, Stu's character and stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of um, really nice uh, just how friendly the retro community is, oh, you know, yeah. you know, and open to doing stuff like that. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I had to apologize to Stu for killing him so many times. <laughs> yeah, I think we all did, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we all killed Stu and Jules. And, you know, and you hit the nail on the head. The community is so welcoming. I mean, I'm part of, as I said with Stu, I'm part of the RMC retro community. Yeah. And you couldn't ask for a nicer bunch of people. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, what Neil's done is incredible, the fact that not only has he built that amazing community, but now, you know, not not only online, but physically as well. And uh, I haven't had a chance to make it down to the cave, you know, since the new one's opened. I know we only had the opening weekend like last week or the week before, didn't Mm. they, for the public. So it's definitely on my um, to-do list over the summer. Get down there finally. So you've already sort of answered this question, and... um... You have the A500 Plus as your first Amiga. Mine was the 600. Now, I was talking a little bit with with Stu about this yesterday because literally that episode was recorded yesterday. And Stu was saying that Commodore had made some little changes between the 600 and the 500 Plus that actually made it not quite as simple as just a lobbed-off 500 Plus. Mm, interesting. Yeah, because I always assumed it was like, Kind of like, you know, today we get the, the slim models of things, don't we? Like you'll get, you know, the, the PS3 slim and stuff like that. So I always kind of assumed it was just kind of that, you know, like uh, technology allowed them to condense it down to fewer parts and cheaper. Um, but I guess, I mean, there was stuff in there like um, it obviously had the onboard hard disk interface, didn't it? And the memory card slot on the side. Yeah. So maybe it was just some kind of yeah nuance like that. They kind of broke things that weren't strictly, you know, system legal. They always had these guidelines they asked developers to stick to that nobody did. Because if you broke the guidelines, you could squeeze way more power out of the chips inside it. And that brings us kind of nicely onto our first sort of look at how we can use Amigas today, which is going to be original hardware. Now, I have to admit, I looked at prices. I thought, oh, I fancy a 1200. Hmm. Because I always lusted after the 1200. A friend had one. And it was an AGA chipset with... um, I think for me, the big draw was, because um, I was a huge Alien Breed fan uh, from Team 17. Yeah. And as, you know, my uncle allowed me to play Doom when I was probably far too young to play Doom. <laughs> I don't I don't know if my mum's quite forgiven him for that yet. Uh, and I know my uncle will be listening to me, so you are still in trouble, I think, for that one. But Doom, obviously, big, you know, first-person shooter. And on the 1200, they got Alien Breed 3D, and I'm like... Oh, I want a twelve hundred or a CD thirty two. Yeah, but I looked at prices. Like, nope, I'm not paying that. I, 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 a not paying it. B can't afford to pay it. But so I guess that's maybe my first question is, what are we looking at right now, pricing wise, and what are some of the risks of buying original hardware? Well, I'd say, I mean, you know, it depends where you get them from. Really, um, I must admit, you know, I don't really buy a lot of. Um, ebay and that kind of thing in terms of amiga hardware but i definitely see them around at shows and you know i went to the um the doncaster gaming market um last month uh first thing i've been to you know after the pandemic um now everything's kind of reopened over here again and i you know i saw machines i like those you know boxed cd32s boxed amiga uh, 1200s 
uh, Box Day 600, and they were going for pretty much the price they were new again. Wow. So you're talking about, yeah, 400 pounds. So it's kind of come full circle in that regard. I believe it is still possible to get, um, actually, a friend of mine found an Amiga 500. Um, that, that his dad owned, you know, a few months ago, and he's asking me what what kind of what's that worth? I would have took it off his hands, but I already have four of them, you know. Probably uh, couldn't convince the wife that we need another one. So yeah. I'd look on eBay, and actually, know that they were kind of going for an unboxed example of an Amiga five hundred in workable order, you know, that's not too kind of beaten up and everything. Probably around eighty pounds for one okay. of those on eBay, you know, with a power supply and a mouse, and maybe a couple of uh, you know, normally pirated games included in the box with them as well. So it depends kind of what condition you want them in. I'd say if you want something that's going to be comparable to like a mint condition one that's still got a box and everything, you're probably talking pretty close to what they were new. Um, but I'd say, you know, for an old A500, probably about £80, you know, an unboxed example of it. For a 1200 a bit more, probably about £150 unboxed. And and I guess what then, so maybe not so much on the cost side, but on the risk side, because, yeah. you know, obviously watching a lot of RMC Retro, watching a lot of uh, of your content, there's always that are the capacitors going to have gone boom yeah well that was the thing i mean you know you've got to remember these computers were made you know at least 30 years ago now <laughs> which makes me feel very old that the amiga 1200 came out 30 years ago this year actually in 92 um, oh, wow. and they, they were never designed to last anywhere near that long you know we've had engineers like you know we've had guys like bill hurd on our podcast who used to work for commodore and he said you know they made them and they thought they'd be lucky to last five years let alone people still using them 30, 40 years later. So the components in there were never designed to have that kind of longevity. So there are obviously things in there that, you know, you do want to check. I mean, there are certain models of the Amiga, before we get onto capacitors, um, that had a battery-backed-up real-time clock. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And they would use these old um, lithium kind of barrel batteries, no, nickel-cadmium batteries that were actually in the Amiga. Um, and they have a tendency that after, a, you know, a decade or so, to kind of spill their acid guts all over the motherboard, um, which obviously is not good for um, ICs and traces and stuff like that that's on the motherboard. So generally, if you're looking on eBay or something, there are certain models to look out for. Uh, the Amiga 500 Plus had a battery-backed-up clock in there. Um, there are certain models of the Amiga 1500 and the 2000 that had them, and all of them do, depending on how new they are. Um, the Amiga 3000 and 4000 had them in there. 1200 and 600 didn't, and the original 500 didn't either. Um, and the CD32 doesn't either. So, you know, you, you're kind of safe apart from the capacitors with those. But if you ever see something like, and I see this a lot, you know, on Facebook Marketplace and that, Amiga 500 Plus, untested. Generally, you can probably pretty much safely assume that they've turned it on and nothing happened. They've got a black screen because the batteries destroyed the machine inside. And then it's kind of, you know, look at the draw, how bad it is really. You know, there are, like you mentioned, you know, a lot of people like, you know, Jan Bater on YouTube, he does a lot of great videos on that kind of thing. Um, Gadget UK, you know, there are techniques for cleaning them up. But again, it depends. You don't really know until you see it just how bad that corrosion is. And sometimes it can be unsalvageable, really, unfortunately. So that's definitely one thing to look out for, you know, check if that model of old computer that you're buying came with a, a battery backed up clock. And, you know, if you get lucky, get it out there ASAP when you get it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, like you said, is capacitors. And really, again, it, there, there was kind of a thing called the Great Capacitor Plague that really affected, you know, machines from, I'd say, the early 90s to about the mid-2000s, really, um, particularly with um, surface mount capacitors. You generally find the older type that was in stuff like, you know, the Amiga 500 and the Commodore 64, the kind of through-hole capacitors they call them generally aren't as affected i mean they can kind of bulge and break but um, not like the not as much as the smaller surface mount ones that have a tendency to kind of leak from the bottom so again you can get corrosive material that comes out and you know there are a load of these all over most of these boards 
and they can attack the underlying components. So, um, and also, I mean, you can get some that maybe the components haven't leaked on there. The capacitors are still in, intact, but you can get weird behavior with them. Like I've just sent my Amiga 1200 off to get recapped by um, Steve, you know, Retro Passion UK. He's doing mine mm. at the moment. And I only had it recapped about maybe 15 years ago, but it needed doing again. I noticed some weird behavior with it, like certain, it just crashed in weird places. And the audio kind of lost a bit of level on one channel. And, you know, the, the screen display might not look quite as sharp as it once did. So you can get things like that that are generally caused by failing capacitors. So it's always wise, you know, as you check for the um, the battery backup clock, if you get one of these machines with that, uh, particularly surface mount capacitors, get them recapped. There are loads of places that do them, you know, you can join a retro forum and the, a lot of people that come highly recommended. And I say power supplies is another important thing as well, uh, particularly when you're looking at, you know, some machines like the Commodore 64 had a notoriously cheaped out power supply and there are so many stories of them failing and taking the computer down with them as well you know frying the ram chips and that kind of thing and again there are you know the replacement power supplies available or or kits to convert more modern pc power supplies to work with these old machines which i think you know if you don't need house to catch fire probably not wise leaving a 34 year old power supply just plugged in unattended so no. yeah <laughs> so those are a few things that i always look out for when buying an old machine thank you that's really helpful i i do remember the the a600's power brick being somewhat of a well brick yeah um i'm sure i stubbed my toe on that as a kid many <laughs> times i'm sure i used I to leave mine under the desk and accidentally kick the because it had the power switch on the front of the power supply oh, didn't yes. it the amount yeah. of times I accidentally turned the machine off you know in the middle of a game of monkey island or something after a four-hour gaming session oh no <laughs> so assuming that you've managed to get a good working example of an amigo in good quality without any issues um, these are obviously still going to be the stock machines, and some people might love that experience, but loading games from floppy is slow, to mm. say the least. Um, but what about modern upgrades? What can we do to these Amigas? Because I know there were accelerators back in the day where you could you know, up the speed, um, add more, uh, was it chip RAM you could add, and more fast RAM? Yeah. But when we look at today, and I know you've done quite a bit of content on this, so what can what's sort of on the market, and what what does that mean for a, a you know a vintage Amiga? What can you get out of them through these accelerators? Yes, it really depends on again, you know, like you said, what you kind of want to run on these machines, and also how I guess easy you want the experience to be. I mean, if you buy something like a you know stock Amiga five hundred that generally came with like a megabyte of chip RAM in in the you know they came with half a meg on board. Normally, they all came with a a half meg expansion in the in the trapdoor underneath it. That was kind of the standard part that everyone had back then. If you buy one of those and you're thinking, well, I want to get software onto it, again, you know, you can use floppies that are slow and unreliable. But there are devices like, um, there's something called a GoTech. That's actually, um, it's a drop-in replacement for a floppy drive. And they're quite cheap. But I think I've, I've got about three or four of them, you know, generally about 25 pounds. And you can get them, you know, people sell them on um, retro forums, on eBay, and get them off there as well. They've kind of got to be... Um, Flash, the firmware's got to be flashed for the, the machine you want to use it on. So if you want to use it on Atari ST, you'll get an ST firmware on there. You know, there's a lot of Amiga ones that you'll find on eBay. Uh, but then what you do is you literally just open the machine up, um, take the floppy drive out, plug the GoTech into the same cables that the floppy drive used, and then you can um, you can get what are called ADF files, which are essentially images of Amiga games, you know, the, the disc images. And there are, you know, assuming you own the originals, you are uh, entitled to uh, download them from, you know, the 
millions of websites you can get them from, you know, to search on Google. Um, and then you could just put them all on a USB stick and it's got a nice menu launcher on there as well. So that is a way that you can um, play the games. And, you know, if you've got multi-disc games, there are a couple of little buttons on the GoTech and a little display. So you can just cycle through, you know, like disc one, disc two, disc three. Um, and these are all generally, you know, you can get all packs that are completely set up just to drop on a USB stick and put into a GoTech. So that is probably the cheapest way. You know, if you just want to play these kind of retro games on an Amiga 500 without too much of an outlay, get a GoTech for 25 quid and, you know, a 32 gig USB stick and you're sorted really in, in that regard. Um, if you want to make the experience a bit easier, that's where we get into a little bit more expense. And that's when you're using stuff like, I'd say, you know, an Amiga 1200 would be a really good starting point for this. Or an Amiga 600 could do it as well. You know, we mentioned before that those models of the Amiga had um, onboard IDE hard disk interfaces. So you could actually plug in a hard disk inside the machine when these machines were released. But today there are solutions, um, for example, you can get um, IDE to compact flash card adapters. They're very affordable as well. You know, generally you can get those for under £10 on you know, a place like eBay again. So what you do is, um, the way I do it is generally, Combat Flash was a, um, it was a card that was really used by um, digital cameras when they first came around about 20 years ago. A little bit um, kind of obsolete now in terms of flash storage for most purposes, but you can actually get kind of, I go through a few chains. So I use a IDE to Compact Flash adapter that I plug into the Amiga's motherboard, and then I've got a Compact Flash to an SD card adapter that I plug into, so I daisy chain the adapters pretty much. So that means you can use an SD card, which obviously you can pick up at any supermarket. So using that, you can use a system which is called um, WHD Load. Because back in the Amiga's heyday, most games were just shipped on floppy disks. And most of them weren't actually installable to a hard disk, really because it was an anti-piracy measure. They didn't want you, you know, taking your games around your friend's house and installing them on their hard disk. Um, which I know a lot of PC users did. But now there is a system called WHD Load that actually takes all of these games that were floppy only and will allow them to work on a hard disk. It's a really clever system. So if you've got something like the, you know, the Compact Flash adapter, you plug it inside the Amiga, load all of these WHD Load files onto an SD card, and then you can get um, menu launchers. So you turn the machine on, and it can literally boot into a list of games that you just you know, go through with your joystick or your cursor keys, press return on a game, and it will load up in like two or three seconds. That's a really simple way of having everything on there. The only thing is it does require a little bit more memory than the Amiga 1200 came with the standard, you know, for a good experience. You might get some of the um, the smaller games might work okay. But when you get into stuff like, you know, games that required more than like two or three discs, generally it's going to run out of memory because it has, it has to load them all into RAM first. Mm-hmm. So you're better off getting a, um, a cheap RAM expansion. And, you know, places like um, Amiga Kit or an Amiga retailer or Amiga Store EU, they sell kind of basic four to eight megabyte upgrades for the Amiga 1200, um, normally with a, a modern battery on there, one that's not going to leak, you know, a little coin cell battery so they can store the time as well. You just plug that into the bottom of the machine. You can get those for about, you know, 60 to 80 pounds, um, maybe even less these days, actually, because there's a lot of them out there now. And that will give you a good machine for running WHD load on there, you know, having all your games, pretty much every Amiga game ever made on an SD card inside the machine and launching it from a menu. So that's a really good, you know, if you just want to play the games, those are two really good methods to do it. Awesome. And what about the accelerators? Because, you know, I always, I think one of the first videos of yours I watched was, now I'm going to get this wrong, was the Vampire 2? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we're going uh, very high end now. Okay. (laughs) So there there are kind of levels below that. I mean, you know, in in the 90s, there were 
some Amiga users would upgrade the CPU um, to, you know, the Amiga 1200 came with a Motorola 68020 on board. Uh, but you could get a higher model called the uh, 68030 or even an 040 or an 060 if you had a lot of money. Mm. Um, and people would get cards that had a faster CPU and some more memory on there together. And you could put that in the bottom of the machine. And there are people still making new ones today. Um, you know, there are a lot of 030 cards out there as well, which will give the Amiga uh, 1200 a nice speed boost, probably making it, you know, over a stock machine, maybe even like up to 10 times faster, really. Set some fast RAM and it, you know, makes it five times quicker, just adding a bit more RAM. Um, so you can really speed up the machine. And for games, uh, you know, you're not going to see any performance increases in, you know, something like Lemmings, for example. But if you're playing uh, Frontier, you know, which was quite a demanding game or anything with kind of more demanding 3D graphics or even some of the racing games. I mean, you know, you play on a stock Amiga 500, something like, you know, Lotus Turbo Challenge 3. You can kind of get a bit of slowdown when there's a lot of cars on screen together and things. So it can smooth out a lot of that kind of thing, you know, make it just a, a nicer experience. And if you kind of use the Amiga for a bit more than just gaming, you know, if you want to kind of get into the realms of, you know, using retro applications, maybe some of the old 3D packages and that kind of thing, it can generally just give the whole machine a nice little speed up, really. So I'd say, you know, for me, the sweet spot for a classic Amiga would be an 030 upgrade, mm -hmm. which is something readily available. There are new ones being made, you know, now by lots of retailers and uh, community groups. So they're easy to get hold of. If you want to go a bit more high end, um, you can get an 040, which is generally not really recommended because they could run really warm. And I, I often found the 040 wasn't as compatible right. as the 030. You know, a lot of games and stuff failed when I, when I had an 040. But the next one up and the final CPU in that range was the uh, Motorola 60060, which is kind of like, um, I'd say, Pentium-level performance. So they actually came out after the Amiga you know, commercially ended. Mm. But upgrades were made back in the 90s. And today there are you know, groups who are making new 060 accelerators. There's a guy called Stephen Leary. He does the yeah, Terrible Fire expansion cards. Um, they don't set your house on fire. That's just a really bad name he's picked for that, Terrible Fire. <laughs> They're absolutely awesome products. And he open sources them as well, so you know people can make their own, which is really cool. He puts all the plans and everything online on how to make them. And um, there's one I've got called um, a Warp 1260, which is a new one. It's not actually available yet, but they're hopefully going to be releasing it. You know, there's been a, a global component shortage that's kind of knocked everything back a little bit. Um, but they're going to be available hopefully in the next 12 months as well. They're not cheap, though. You know, getting these 060 CPUs now is pretty difficult. So, you know, for something like a Warp 1260, you're probably talking about £800 wow. with the CPU as well. But it also has stuff on there, like it's got upgraded graphics on there, so you can output a 1080p. It's got a Wi-Fi chip on there, so you can connect wirelessly to the internet. Way overkill if all you want to do is go on and play a game of, you know, battle chess or something. But for those of us who, you know, like to push the Amiga to its limits, those high-end accelerators, you know, are really something else. And, you know, I kind of like them because I always wanted one as a kid. Yep. And, you know, now you can finally own an 060. is just, you know, mind-blowing. But then you get into stuff like you mentioned the Vampire, which is like something else entirely, really. Um, there's a technology called FPGA, which, uh, God, I'm going to get this wrong probably. I think it's Field programmable gate array it stands yep, for yeah oh there you go um so it's uh it's a technology that really allows you it's kind of like a, a hardware i'm going to use the word emulator and people go crazy when you call it an emulator it's kind of um a malleable chip if you like so you can kind of shape it into something else so you can reprogram the cores on there to basically make this to you know be a different CPU, so you can flash a core of something like a Motorola sixty eight or sixty on there. But this team, the Vampire team, have actually gone one step further and kind of made what they're calling the sixty eight or eighty, 
which is their the next level. So they made their own version of the Motorola CPUs with a lot of modern enhancements and stuff on there as well. And again, it's got stuff like um, you know their own graphics core on there too, so you can have you know high resolution displays. And these things were insanely fast. I mean, the original ones and the one I've got were an expansion for the original Amigas. Mm. So the one I've got in the Amiga 600, you literally open the A600's case, and you, it's called a vampire because um, you actually sit it over the chip in the in the Amiga 1200. You you push it down over the CPU, and it kind of uh, connects to all the you know, the tracks around the edge of it and the traces, and it, it kind of sucks you know the life out of the CPU, takes over it really. That's why it's called a vampire. Mm. Um, and I think they've got a graphics edition called the Parasites, so you know, all, all that kind of phrasing. Um, but really, you know, you're using the original Amiga's you know floppy drive and the outputs on the back of it. Um, but really, I mean, you're kind of putting a lot of the Amiga in that FPGA chip. Yeah. So, but it doesn't mean that you can go way beyond what the original machine did. I think, you know, the vampire I've got, the, the original Amiga 600 runs at seven megahertz. I think the one I, you know, with the vampire runs at about 350 megahertz. So, you know, a very big speed upgrade over the originals. Um, and now they've actually developed it into a standalone machine with the latest revision of it, the vampire V4. So it's kind of a bit like, you know, like, like a Raspberry Pi and put it in its own mm. case, connect the keyboard and all that. So really getting rid of the bit that was going to slow it down, which is the original Amiga hardware. Yes. And you've got all these modern components that are kind of redoing the, the jobs of the original components in FPGA, but with all the modern benefits as well. So it makes it so much quicker. So if you kind of want to go down that route, you know, again, I mean, they're not quite as expensive as um, stuff like the Warp 1260s. I think they're going to set you back up from memory. I think it's about four, five hundred pounds, mm-hmm. I think, for a standalone V4. Um, there's a big waiting queue on them, though, uh, if you want to get hold of one. I think, you know, there's about a 12-month waiting list at the moment. Um, but then you have other things as well. Like recently, you know, over the last two years, there's been efforts to make stuff like, um, I don't know if you've seen, um, there's a there's an effort which I've completely forgotten the name of it now, and I did a video on it. It's a, a Raspberry Pi. It's a Pi that Storm. You, that's it, the Pi Storm. So yeah, so what you do is it's um, a little connector board that allows you to put one of the smaller Raspberry Pi models without all the USB ports and everything, um, piggybacked and onto a little board that you push into the Amiga CPU slot. So that means you're using the, the power of a Raspberry Pi to emulate a faster Amiga. But the original Amiga just sees it as a CPU. So you wow. get a really nice speed upgrade and extra memory and that kind of thing as well. And obviously Raspberry Pis are very cheap. I mean, you know, when I got my Pi Storm back in 2020, I think it was end of 2020, the actual components for the Pi Storm were £15. Wow. And I, and I got a Raspberry Pi 3B for about £20 off uh, Amazon. Obviously, you need, you know, stuff like a, an SD card. But that was really the only outlay. So you're getting a really fast accelerator, you know, that, it's going to set you back under 50 pounds. So that's one project that's been really interesting. And just finally on stuff that's coming out recently, there's, there's also a thing called the Buffy. Oh, um, oh nice, Buffy, nice. Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. This is a brand new um, accelerator, again, using FPGA that's just as small as a chip. Again, you, you take the Amiga's processor out and you put this in the Amiga slot. But also, I mean, it can work with stuff like the classic Macs, you know, that use 68Ks of or course. potentially even the Mega Drive or the Atari ST. Um, and they're talking, I've got one that is literally, it's in beta at the moment, so it's not running at full performance, but they're claiming that when this is kind of finished, it could run at around 3.2 gigahertz. Whoa. So you can imagine, you know, maybe it means things like, you know, watching YouTube on your Amiga's workbench and things could be possible, which <laughs> just sounds crazy. But, you know, these are just, a lot of these, you know, people will often ask, why on earth would you want to do that? And my answer is always, why not? You know, yeah. just because. Absolutely. Uh, you, you might even be able to launch one Chrome tab. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, without bringing it to his knees. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, look, if you know, these are awesome options, and of course, we probably should give an honourable honourable shout out to the uh, Mister Multisystem. Very cool. I understand again from Stu that uh, they fired up that core for him on uh, Sunday, and he was running Deluxe Paint on, and then multi- Mister Multisystem. Nice. Yeah, they, I haven't got my hands on one of those yet. Um, I, I've been talking to Neil, and I know, again, component shortage, but hopefully I'm going to be able to get one off him eventually. Um, but, yeah, they look awesome. And, again, these are kind of – because they're not just Amigas either, are they? You can put different machine cores on there. You know, I was playing with one at a convention a couple of years ago, and they had, a, I think it was an, an Acorn Archimedes, you know, core running on there. Yeah. Um, I know you can get Atari STs on there and all kinds of different consoles. So, again, these are, you know, the FPGA-based things, and you just put different cores on them. And really you've got, you know, perfect em- or simulation – of uh, these original machines on, you know, commodity hardware, essentially. Absolutely. And since you mentioned the E-word, which, you know, people really don't like us using in terms of FPGAs, but let's talk emulation. And Mm. we were talking about the Raspberry Pi. Now, the Raspberry Pi is is a wonderful machine. Mm. And, you know, you can run things like RetroPie, which is a one... I mean, I'm running a 3B Plus uh, in the lounge with RetroPie, but... You did a video um, last year, I think, on the Pi 400 with, now I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Amibian? Amibian. Amibian. Yeah. I think it, yeah, some people call it, yeah, I call it Amibian. Some people call it Amibian. It's, yeah, I don't think there's a, <laughs> no, it's actually revealed how you say it, but yeah, your own interpretation's fine. That works for me. Um, and this, I mean, the video looked incredible, but I think the thing that struck me is it just brought back flashbacks of my A600. And in mm. fact, I'll put a link to this in my show notes. Turns out Ebon Upton, who uh, I think founded the Raspberry Pi Foundation, yeah, um, his first, um, well, the first machine he really learned to program on was an A600. Yeah, he was a, a big Amiga fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had him on our podcast probably about 18 months ago, and yeah, we, we really nerded out about the Amiga with him on that one. You know, he's a big fan of it. Nice. So, so maybe basically this is effectively, it lets you emulate the Amiga now. There is a big caveat to all of this, and I'd imagine for the non, for the standalone uh, FPG, FPGA stuff, the ROMs mm. and the Kickstarts, because amazingly they're still under copyright. Uh, is it Kalanto who still owns all the copyright for me? <laughs> I think they own part of it. Yeah, um, maybe all of it. I, honestly, it's one of these where you know Commodore, who originally made the Amiga went bankrupt in 1994. Mm. Then there's a German company called Escom who took over and then went bankrupt a year later. And then there was part of that company went to Tulip Computers in the Netherlands, I believe, who made Commodore-branded PCs. Some bits of the Amiga went to Gateway 2000, who were then acquired by Acer, who then subletted it to another group of people. Literally, you can, I, I think you could have the best legal team in the world and try to trace the the history of who owns what about the Amiga, you know, over the last 25 years, and they probably still couldn't do it, even when Commodore went bankrupt, because they were a really complex company. Um, I remember I remember reading a quote at the time that the reason the, the bankruptcy dragged out for about a year, just because, again, all these patents and stuff were all over the place, and oh. someone compared it, you know, in, in complexity to the uh, the Maxwell Corporation, you know, that was in the early 90s. So it was uh, it's always been a legal minefield, which I think, I mean, I imagine we'll get onto the latest development in, in hardware that's going to be in shop mm. soon, which is why it's amazing that actually, you know, new Amiga hardware's even made it onto the shelves. And I, I imagine that's probably a reason why 
a lot of things haven't managed to get off the ground is because you're right. You know, just so many different people lay claims to different parts of the Amiga. Yeah. I seem to recall, and I think it's either from your content or from uh, I mean, uh, from um, Neil's content, that Commodore UK were actually profitable at the time of uh, bankruptcy of the yeah. parent. Yeah, they kept going. I mean, originally their plan was to buy buy out the parent company, um, and they had you know David Pleasance, who was the the MD of Commodore UK at the time. Yeah, um, he wrote a really good book called Commodore: The Inside Story. Um, disclaimer: I, I narrated the audiobook version of it, you know, so I was involved in the project, but it's a really good read. Um, and there's a new, you know, it's actually just released. Kind of what happened after Commodore? Two new books with Trevor Dickinson. The first volume's out now, called From Vultures to Vampires. Nice. So it kind of talks about you know the last 25 years of post Commodore, um, what happened. So you know, if you kind of want to get into where. Or the uh, the tangles and stuff. That's a really good place to start. But yeah, I mean, really, their, their plan was to take over the whole Amiga company. But unfortunately, didn't happen. I think it was just in terms of investment, it didn't happen in the end. But yeah, they, they were the only profitable arm. I think Germany may have been as well, but not sure if they were right at the end. It's really interesting. But a point I was sort of yeah. <clears throat> alluding to is uh, there is the open source Aros ROM. But if yeah. you want to be able to actually use the original ROMs, you do have to purchase them. And I think you pointed out the best, the cheapest way is actually to get via is it the Amiga Forever? I think basically on the on the Google Play Store. I think it's yeah, some, it's called Amiga Forever Essentials. It's called yeah, and it's ridiculously cheap. Yeah, I think like two pounds or something. Yeah, you get them, or, or you get all the ROMs for the different t- types of Amiga on there. Yeah, and you do need those. And as Dan hinted at earlier, a lot of the games are still in copyright. So, look, you know, I'm not going to tell you don't go and download games, but do you own those games? I I might be wrong on this, and I will double check and I'll fact check this myself. I seem to remember Team Seventeen uh, made all the Amiga games um, public domain. Yeah, I think you're right. Oh, yeah, I know there definitely did a few of them. Yeah, I remember like you know Worms um, Director's Cut and stuff like that. You could download off their website for free. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and they put the source code out to like Alien Breed 3D and things, didn't they? I remember. Yes, and those. I mean, yeah. those was you know some. I mean, I Tower Assault. I I have a very vivid memory of buy of getting Tower Assault from a computer shop and actually having to take it back because disc two didn't work. Right. Okay. You know, as is the case with yeah. floppies. Yeah. So, really cool way to do emulation on uh, a Raspberry Pi, and we'll link to Dan's video in the show notes. But that brings us nicely onto this new new hardware that's just come out now. Your video on this is going out probably what half an hour from the time we're recording this. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So this is just like we've had. Well, I say just like we've had things like the um, the C sixty four Mini. The I'm trying to remember, is it the NES Classic and the SNES Classic and this breed Mega of Drive. The Mega yeah. Drive, yeah, not one of the at games Mega Drives, an actual No, no, no. Yeah. Proper Sega one. Yeah, proper Sega <laughs> one, yeah. Um We've had these machines and there's this real nostalgia at the moment for Retrotech. So the A five hundred mini, Dan, yeah, tell us about it, because you've got one. Yeah, well actually I know this is an audio only podcast, but there you go, in my hand right now. Nice tap to give you a little yeah. indication of how uh, solid it is. Yeah, this is I mean, and again, like we were talking about before, because there have been so many legal tanglings in the world of Amiga and copyright chaos and, you know, a legal minefield trying to get anything done. I remember seeing, you know, there's a Commodore 64 joystick. It was kind of a, a joystick that you plugged into your TV with a load of Commodore 64 games on for the uh, the C64 that came out in around 2004. 
I remember back then thinking, oh, it'd be great if, you know, why, why didn't they put an Amiga on, mm. an Amiga one of those out, you know, put Sensible Soccer on it, whatever. They sell loads of them. And I remember at the time, people were like, well, you know, because everyone owns different parts of it, no one can agree on it. I remember thinking, what a waste. Um, but now finally, and, and I know I've, I've spoke to the guys at Retro Games Limited, it has been difficult for them. But they managed to do it, and I think that's probably you know part of the delay because it was originally rumored to come out last year, and again component shortage, I imagine. But they finally managed to get, um, yeah, an, an officially licensed. I'm going to call this the A500 because there is no Amiga or Commodore branding on it. Um, yeah, the, you don't see the word Amiga anywhere on here, but it looks like if you can imagine a Amiga 500 shrunk down to maybe the size of a large you know, iPhone or something. It's uh, about that size, really. Um, nice little modern recreation, modern hardware. Um, got all the the ports that you'd expect to find today. You know, you've got HDMI output. Plug it into your modern TV. It's powered by a USB-C charge, like a phone charger, pretty much. You've got three um, USB ports on the back of it, and that's it. You know, there's a fake, uh, fake keyboard that's purely for aesthetic reasons, which bizarrely, I've seen so many people on forums going, uh, oh, I'm not buying one if the keyboard's not real. But you need like a the keys are tiny on this thing. You need like a cocktail stick to like you know press the keys in. I couldn't see that ever working. You know it is a mini machine, uh, but obviously you can plug a USB keyboard into it if, if you need one. Um, a fake floppy drive on the side that again for aesthetic reasons. But it looks like a tiny, cute little Amiga five hundred. Very sweet looking thing. I mean, when I first opened it, that was my reaction on the video, and you'll see it if people watch my video. I went, oh, because it just looks really cute. Um, so yeah, it is a properly licensed Amiga A500 that you're going to be able to walk into, you know, game and high street retailers Argos and be able to buy an Amiga again in 2022, which is the first time I can remember that happening since the mid nineties, which is crazy. And it's fantastic. I've seen some, uh, some sort of images of it already. Um, Does it, am I mistaken? Does it come with a mouse and a CD32 like joypad? Yeah. So you've got, um, so if anyone remembers the original Amiga mouse, it was called um, affectionately or maybe unaffectionately because I don't remember anyone who actually liked that mouse no, back then. No. It was called the, the tank mouse, it was called, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Very boxy looking thing, which weirdly there seems to be a load of nostalgia for it now. I've seen people, you know, begging them to release a mouse standalone so they can use it on the PC, and I think they are. And there's actually a Kickstarter running. Someone else is making um, new Amiga tank mice with a kind of touch-sensitive scroll wheel in the middle of it as well that you can use on a modern PC or a Mac. I always hated this thing when I was a kid. First thing I did when I got an, an Amiga was replace it with a better mouse, but that's it, just me. Is it Logic, oh, logic Free or... Um... Speed Mouse. Yes. That's when I used to replace it. Yeah, I've got about four of them. Yeah, my collection still. They, they're always the ones I bought. Now, the question um, I have about this mouse, of course, is it optical? Is it still a good old-fashioned... No, it is optical, yes. You've got the, yeah, you just, you don't have to clean the ball on it or anything like that anymore. <laughs> and it's a bit smaller than the original as well. I'd say about, about three quarters of the size. Okay. Uh, which actually, because I, you know, I've been using this one, I've been playing around with it over the weekend. Um, and the buttons are near that micro switched. Whereas the original, I know there are a few different revisions of the original Amiga Tank Mice. Most of the ones I've got had those kind of, um, sellotape leaf switches underneath, you know, that really wore out over time. They were very cheaply made. This feels a lot nicer. And I've got to say, the size of it as well, I've actually found it quite comfortable. I think, you know, if, if the original Amiga mouse was like, you know, quarter the size smaller, it probably would have been nicer in the hand. So mm. I've actually quite enjoyed using it, um, which I never thought I'd say about the tank mouse. So you get that with it. And also, yeah, you get like, um, you could say a much improved CD32 style controller, which again, I've got here. And I'd say in terms of, you know, the original Amiga CD32 controller, I always thought it was just slightly a bit too long. Mm. 
you know, the middle section of it just felt a bit awkwardly spaced out. And you had an absolutely, it wasn't even really a D-pad. It was like a disc on the CD32 controller that would always break. And it had a couple of kind of raised little dots on it. And it was terrible to use. Um, and you had this kind of mushy rubber button in the middle as well for pausing games. They've improved all that, and you've got like you know a proper D-pad nice. that feels nice and clicky. Um, the action buttons on that say feel very much like a, a Super Nintendo Ooh. pad in terms of the, the fire buttons on there. And you've got either menu and home button in the se- in the middle section, and then you've got two nice uh, clicky shoulder buttons on it as well. And again, you know they've really done the homework on this, and I think really worked on the ergonomics of it. And it's you know cause I'm I'll be honest, I'm more of a joystick guy when I play Mega games. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, I mean, I've still got them now. You know, it was always the zip sticks. Oh, yes. They're what I use. Always loved the zip stick. And, you know, if I'm playing my A1200, I've got a zip stick plugged in. Or there's some more modern joysticks. Like I've got an Arcada, which is kind of like a competition pro, like an old 80s joystick modernized with kind of arcade um, clicky parts and stuff in it. So it feels nice. So generally, I, I normally play my Amiga games with a, with a stick, but I think I'm probably in the minority. I know that most modern gamers prefer a pad. So I think it was a good choice of them to include a joy pad with it. Um, but one thing that always threw me when using a pad on Amiga games were, particularly platformer games, you always had to press up on the joystick to jump. Oh, of course. Yeah, which, you know, if you're using a stick, that's all right, but on a pad, it's quite fiddly to do. But luckily, every game that you run on here, the games that are included with it, they've actually remapped them all, so jump is a button. Oh, perfect. Um, and then you can put your own games on it. You know, you can put a USB stick in there with your own games, you know, providing you legally own them, as we said before. Um, and there is a function to remap each game, you know, on a per-game basis. So you can remap the, the controls, and it saves them in memory. Fantastic. And I take, um, are these just ADF files that people are putting onto a stick? No, it can't launch ADF files at the moment. It uses that WHD load we were talking about. Oh, okay. Um, so that's the only way for now. So you've got to download the WHD load files. And, the, again, there are websites that just have them all pre-made. Um, put that in, it will read them. You know, they've actually got a full catalogue of like settings files already made for pretty much every game on there. Fantastic. So really, you should just put the stick in that you'll just be able to launch it then. I've heard that ADF support could be coming in a future update because um, they actually do, you know, they can do firmware upgrades on this. Of course, So you yeah. just, uh, you get it off their website, put it on a USB stick and you can upgrade the firmware. So hopefully that is something they're going to be doing at some stage. But for now, it's WHD load only. But, you know, you can pretty much get any Amiga game on WHD load format. Yeah. And I, and I think you've answered, because uh, I think, is it 25 games it comes with? Yeah, um, quite a selection as well, actually. I mean, a lot of the ones I liked um, when I was a kid, you know, I love Pinball Dreams. Yes. Um, that's on there as well, which, um, you know, and most people think Pinball Fantasies was a better game, and it probably was, but Dreams was the one that I probably spent most time with when I was a kid, so it was quite nice to see that one on there. Um, and again, you know, they've done some, like, like I said, you know, the controller remap, because you remember, if you played the original, you had to um, use the shift keys on the Amiga's keyboard. Yes. Yeah. You had to do the the, the bumpers, get all the flippers. Um, and then I, there was a version on the original Amiga console that Commodore made, the CD32, that had a really weird control scheme. To use a left flipper, you had to press left on the D-pad. And then for the right one, you had to press the right shoulder button. It was really weird design. But they fixed all that now. Obviously, the, the flippers are just the, uh, you know, the two shoulder buttons on the controller. So, you know, a lot of the stuff like that, they've improved. And there's, there's Chaos Engine that was another game that I loved as well. Um, and, the, you know, to, to select your, your bombs and that, they put that on the B button rather than having to tap the space bar on the Amiga like you used that to. makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, got Zool on there. That was a good, you know, platformer game. They often called the, uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog Killer in all the Amiga magazines, which, um, of course, he wasn't. No. But, you know, for Amiga fans, we liked him. Um, Worms, a director's cut, which actually, you know, a lot of people reckon is um, probably the, the, the pinnacle of 2D Worms. 
Yes, I would agree with that, absolutely. And, but it reached a very limited audience because it came out in 1997. So well after Commodore went bankrupt, well after you could buy yeah. an Amiga, and it was you know people like yourself who were really keeping keeping that going. I, I, you know, I can't remember exactly when we got rid of our six hundred. And if I could mm. go back in time now and stop my father, Dad, if you're listening, I, I yeah, because um, <laughs> I remember actually going round um, to the guy. So, so he sold it to someone from work, and I went round to help him set it up and. Oh, heartbreaking. Like, no, but, but of course at the time, I'm like, we're getting a PC. We're getting Star yeah. Wars Rebel Assault. Looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, what have I done? But well, At least you sold yours. I threw mine in the bin. <laughs> yeah, but we need to have a talk about that offline. I think we need yeah, to get, yeah. I think uh, the Council of Retro Computing needs to deal with you, my, my friend. Uh, I'm, I'm not proud. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so... I guess my final question on the A five hundred Mini, without you know taking too much away from your video, is can it run Workbench? Um, not officially, but um, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got it working in my video. Actually, you can see me getting it working. There we go. So go and watch um, Dan's video because yeah, honestly, it wasn't easy, but I got it working. I can I can imagine. I I will say this, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show, but every time I've watched your Amiga content, I've come away learning something, and it's always been brilliant. So thank you for all that you post, and of course. I guess that leads us on to, we've been talking about games and we've been talking about software. So I guess to wrap things up, if you had, to, and I'll put you on the spot a little bit here, if you had to choose, I might let you have two picks. I might let you have a game and a piece of software. Oh. I might be generous. Do you know what? I'll, I'll let you either have two games or a game and a software. I'll be, I'll be nice. You know what? We did this on, um, <laughs> my, I do a, a patrons only podcast uh for for patrons of our, our show um well we, we picked our top five amiga games i can't remember what i picked now i think it changes by the day um yeah that's a tricky one i mean if if you're talking kind of non-amiga exclusive games you know stuff i used to play as a kid except and it was out on other platforms as well i'd say monkey island 2 yes you know to me that was something that really strong memories and you know i've never been someone who completes a lot of games um, probably because you know, I'm not very good at them normally, you know. But that game was, uh, I just remember, Monkey Island 1 and 2, playing them from start to finish. Um, even without, you know, a solution or anything. Today you can get walkthroughs, can't oh, you? Yeah. But my brother and I, would, we spent hours on those games, just figuring out every little puzzle and every little way through them. So I think, you know, that would have to be definitely up there. Um, if you let me pick another game, I say Another World. Yeah, as well. Another World. I used to absolutely adore that game. And again, it was kind of one of the first kind of cinematic video games that I played and just loads of atmosphere and a great story in there as well. Um, that's actually on the A500 Mini. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, I spent, probably why my video is a bit late. I spent about four hours playing that the other day. So uh, <laughs> in terms of serious software on the Amiga, see that again, I mean, it, it kind of depends whether you, you know, stuff like Wordworth, which was a word processor that I used, did all my college work on, Wordworth 7. Uh, very good, but I probably wouldn't use it today. But, you know, for, for its time, I thought it was really good. In terms of stuff I use on there now, I use, um, there's, there's a web browser on there called iBrowse. It's actually still in development today. Um, new version only came out about a year ago. Um, can only do basic browsing and stuff like that, but that was actually the first web browser that, that I used on my Amiga wow. back in the mid-90s. It got me online. Um, so, you know, that's kind of been something that, you know, is kind of always in my, uh, my arsenal of, you know, programs that I, I like to have on an Amiga. And uh, Directory Opus 4 as well. Now, that's a workbench uh, replacement, isn't it, if I remember correctly? Yeah, just makes copy and files around, and 
you know, file manipulation and management so much easier than using Workbench. So again, I've got that on every Amiga. I've even put that on the A500 Mini on my Workbench on nice. there, you know, just because it makes life so much easier. So yeah, Dopus 4 would definitely be, uh, you know, one that I use still today as well, if you want something a bit more relevant. I like that. And of course, you know, um, <clears throat> we all had a, a copy, uh, ironically, a pirated copy of X copy. Yeah, I don't know anyone. That, I, I only learned recently that that was actually a commercial product. I didn't know anyone that actually bought it. Kind of shot themselves in the foot there that you could actually copy X copy with X copy. There's a bit of a meta <laughs> thing going. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I, I will confess my sins. I, I did have purchased Amiga yep. games, absolutely, you know, birthdays. But my school was just like this trading ground of Amiga discs. Yeah, I think we all oh, were. Yeah. Naughty. <laughs> I, I mean, it shouldn't really say this. You know, I've, you know, I had to do. I, 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 I never. I need to double check whether or not I'd actually bought cannon fodder. Like, I, I think I'd... Of course you did. Of course did. I did. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I've done that. I spoke to developers of games that I pirated when I was a kid. I've actually told them after and been like, I'm so sorry, you know. What, what game are you working on now? I'll buy it, you know, when it comes <laughs> Please out. Please don't... Yeah. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't... There's a difference between, you know, maybe having pirated copies from your mates and going to the car boot sale with your thousands yeah. of floppy disks... Those are the ones that really harm the industry, I think. And, you know, I've talked to people that run software companies back then. They, they were like, yeah, you know, playground piracy. or we, we, we couldn't advocate it, but you're right. It was it was the market store traders that were selling them every weekend. And it was, you know, the pirate bulletin boards that really, you know, hammered the nail in the coffin for a lot of them. And it's where, well, unfortunately, we ended up the need for some of this insane copy protection that we ended up with, which... I just I I can't remember exactly which game, but I do remember some of the copy protection systems being so bad that I couldn't, as someone who does struggle with her eyesight, I couldn't read yeah. the copy protection, so I had to get my mum to do it for me. And then someone who pirated the game didn't have to put up with any of that. They were straight in gaming yeah. with it, so it punished the people who bought Absolutely. it, which yeah, it was a really weird twist of fate. And yeah, stuff like lens lock. Oh. I remember that horrific thing. <laughs> you know, who thought that was a good that idea? That was just yeah. But oh, gosh, so. I mean, I, I would say I, I'm really torn on this. My the game that probably holds the most memories for me is probably Worms, because the yeah. amount of fun I had having friends around and or just a bunch of friends and doing turn based Worms as like a you know like an after school thing, and it's still fun today, isn't oh, it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I have it on probably. the on the uh, on the RetroPie, and I took it back up to my parents and me and my mum spent hours just playing worms it, it it was it was very surreal playing worms on this you know 50 odd inch lg tv yeah. like <laughs> okay so and then of course you know being a little bit creative you know obviously doing all this podcast stuff deluxe paint yeah yeah oh, what a program i actually did I was thinking about this yesterday. I was talking with Stu, and I remember doing um, a thing in Deluxe Paint, doing a train for some transport homework I had, mm. and I don't think I got a very good grade for it because, of course, all, <laughs> all my classmates in Year Seven and I think like into Year Eight were all on PCs, and they right. got all the clip art. Now me, I'm in D Paint and Wordsworth, you know, making your yeah, own. Absolutely. <laughs> so, see, I love D Paint as well. I was all I was never any good at it though. Yeah, and we used to, um, you know, at Christmas, I remember, it always came with the Amiga, yes. didn't it, D-Paint? Everyone had a copy of it, and I remember making, like, you know, I think you could only fit, like, 10 frames of animation into one megabyte of <laughs> yes. RAM, but destroying stickmen and stupid things. I had loads of fun with it. I was just never any good at art, really, unfortunately. But, yeah, I can see, you know, definitely 
if you're naming, you know, legendary mega programs. I think there. I remember, um, do you know, when you could cycle the color palette to make like, yeah. uh, gradients, like, yeah, animated gradients. I'm going to really show my nerdiness. I remember doing my best sketch of the USS Enterprise with like glowing mm. warpness cells. I was a- <laughs> hit the tab key and it warped. Yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was cool. awesome. <laughs> so, listen, Dan, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, where can people find your content? Yeah, so uh, my podcast um, that comes out every week, every Friday, um, which was you know an idea that I had six years ago. You know, doing a guest-based interview every single Friday seemed a good idea at the time. We've managed to keep it up for six years, amazingly. Uh, that's uh, just search the Retro Hour on your favorite podcast app, or we have a website, theretrohour.com. Uh, on YouTube, search Dan Wood. You're, you, I'm normally come up first on that. Dan Wood Amiga. You'll find me then if you're interested in the Amiga stuff. And of course, I put links to uh, both Dan's YouTube channel and the podcast into the show notes. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Dan. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate we've gone a little bit longer than I'd sort of planned in our session. But you, I don't know what it is about retro, and particularly the Amiga. You can just talk about it without thinking about time. Well, I say time flies when you're having fun. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. You can find my show notes with all the links for our discussion today at crosswires.net. Um, check out our YouTube videos at crosswires.net forward slash YouTube. Make sure you subscribe in, as Dan said, your favorite podcast app. And um, check out the blog as well at crosswires.net because we've got some great stuff going on there. And um, thank you ever so much. Oh, if you have any uh, questions or feedback, I forgot to mention in the last episode, you can email podcast at crosswires.net. Thank you.